Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Deplorable Nation. I'm your host, Deplorable Janet, and today I have my bestie, uh, my 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 best friend in the whole wide world. You know her, you love her. She's been on here a bazillion trillion times, but that's because we literally talk every day. We have a lot of stuff to cover in today's interesting episode. So welcome, Miss Ellie. How are you, darling? Thank you, Jan. I'm so excited to be here. How are you doing today? Ducky, ducky, ducky. Um, so today it's going to be an interesting, interesting conversation because we're going to talk about uh, the episode is titled The Continual High and The Revolving Door. Um, we both watched Painkiller and Dope Sick. And we are going to not only talk about those, but also some uh, fun facts or not so fun facts um, from this continued problem of approval, uh, acceptance, uh, distribution, and the aftermath. So anyways, where do you want to start today, love? So I know that Dopesick came out a couple years ago and I had watched it until now I knew about it Mm -hmm. Um, it just it wasn't like on the top of my priority list to watch and so I had watched Dope Sick and then I had watched Painkiller and in my opinion I think Dope Sick did a much better job of portraying things and fully explaining what was going on Mm -hmm. Uh, Netflix did have a couple I guess fun facts or whatever but if you if you have to choose between the two, I highly recommend Dope Sick. Dope Sick, I think, was on Hulu and Painkiller was on Netflix. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to give like the rough overview of what the, those two are about or do you want me to? Oh, you can do that. So basically, uh, it was about this drug called Oxycontin and the Sackler family who owned Purdue Pharma and how they pushed this drug they knew that it was highly addictive uh they changed the they made science the dollar sign they changed graphs they did all these things to mislead to buy off the fda and it got approved and then it they went through how it stayed on the market and it's still on the market Mm -hmm. uh i think at the end of uh painkiller they were saying that like the Sacklers had technically declared bankruptcy but like it was still in process and it wasn't fully approved because there's still some other like lawsuits going on Mm -hmm. in like civil court but oxycontin started back what like the early 90s Mm -hmm. 1999 it was put on the market yeah and so then when some of the executives were so it was like the former guy from the FDA. Oh, so some top executives, not the Sackler family, but it was some right. top executives that were, um, they had a plea deal in like the mid 2000s. Mm-hmm. And it like it's still going on. And that, like, it surprises me, but at the same time, it doesn't. Well, um, some interesting things about that whole situation is one of the things that they cited in their paperwork. Uh, that they submitted to the FDA was um, citing a study from, (laughs) was it the New England Journal of Medicine? 
Yep. Um, and citing this doctor. And when investigators for the case that was brought started looking into it, it was not um, a study at all. It was a literally a couple of sentences in this medical journal. And this doctor had been, you know, it was like dumbfounded. He's like, study he's like it was this it was a letter to the editor and it was yeah. five sentences and yeah. it was saying how in a clinical setting for like short-term patients for, who like just had surgery certain narcotics were not addictive and so it was like five sentences that basically said that mm -hmm. and Purdue Pharma turned it into this study that started getting cited which I don't even know how it was cited because Typically, when you cite something, there's like a whole. Well, people obviously didn't go look well, up this wink study. <laughs> right. So they must have just found it from one thing and just kept copying the quote unquote information. Mm -hmm. But th when the doctor was finally told, I think, uh, was it the district attorney for the Western the, the attorney general for the Western District of Virginia, I think what it was, you know, mm -hmm. him or one of his. Mm -hmm. uh, employees like went and talked to this doctor and he's like what are you talking about he's like i i never said that all narcotics he's like it was this very specific thing and it was turned into this grand it was signed to the dollar sign like mm -hmm. it, that's exactly what it was is not the doctor who wrote it but purdue pharma turned it into science with the dollar sign which you know following them through this whole entire journey of you know, how many times that they submitted their paperwork mm -hmm. and there was literally one person, one person in charge of this at the FDA. And it was Dr. Curtis Wright, yep. you know, and it was like he kept saying no, denied, 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 denied. And they kept working on him and kept working on him and kept working on him. And then they finally had him meet them in some hotel suite for the weekend. And then things changed and he approved it with no problems, even with all of this falsified data that he knew was falsified and like saying well, there's only a 1% addiction rate and or less than 1%. Yeah, and that was the thing is, even though it was a class two narcotic, it was a mm -hmm. schedule two drug, um, or schedule two drug, it was a narcotic, it got basically this label that implied that it was less addictive than any other opiate. Mm -hmm. And they had been pushing for that language, and Curtis Wright kept saying no. And then all of a sudden, after this three-day weekend, he approved it. And then a year later, went to work for Purdue Pharma, mm -hmm. but as a consultant, he wasn't actually on their payroll, wink, wink. Well- I have some very interesting and shocking statistics about that because um, there have been multiple people that were in charge of review and approval uh, for the FDA plus FDA commissioners and whatnot that ended up going to pharmaceutical companies. So interestingly enough, nine of the last 10 FDA commissioners went to work for big pharma 
And according to studies that were done recently by uh, two doctors, roughly 60%, that is 60, 60% of FDA reviewers go to work for pharma. And guess what their roles are when they go to pharma? They help them with the language for the approval process. Yep. I, I was dumbfounded. I mean, I knew there was a lot of yeah. people throughout history from the FDA that, you know, had dirty hands that ended up going to uh, drug manufacturers and stuff. But I had no idea that it was that large of a percentage. Well, and so let's just back up a second. So in painkiller, they talked more about Arthur Sackler, who was kind mm -hmm. of like the patriarch of the Sackler family and how he mm -hmm. started with MS Cotton and how he bought the volume, the, the patent for volume and how mm -hmm. this started. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that was shocking to me is how they kept saying that it wasn't about the the medicine. He became an expert in advertising. Correct. And there was a quote at the beginning or towards the beginning of Painkiller that I stopped and I literally had to write down for this show. And it was, Arthur Sackler built the pharmaceutical industry we know today as a religion and the pill was its sacrament. Mm -hmm. And I was like, holy smokes. Mm -hmm. Because science in the far in Western medicine has, in a lot of ways, become a religion. Mm -hmm. And the sacrament is the pill. Right. It is what pill can we give you? How can we make you happy? Um, and the other one of the things that also stuck out was they said that Oxycontin was the pill that was the supply that created its own demand. Correct. Very few products have the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a demand when Oxycontin came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there were, there were plenty of other things on the market. Um, but the whole thing with the Valium was such an interesting um, point of uh, like how he became what he became because, you know, he didn't have anything to, Arthur Sackler didn't have anything to do with Oxycontin because he, no. he died before that. Yes. But um, when he, him and his three brothers, they were all practicing psychiatrists. Yep. And so in their line of work, of course, they talked about, you know, the one-time patient thing because they would do a lobotomy and then bingo, you're done and they don't need you anymore. And so he started doing uh, Thorazine and things like that yeah. and then got involved with the, with the Valium, entered the marketing of the wonder drug because he thought, how in the world can I like market this on a mass scale to a lot of people to keep myself in business, well, right? He had labeled Thorazine as a lobotomy in a bottle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he was selling that in his practice to people 
after a lobotomy, but it was just whoever was coming into the office. So that wasn't making enough money because this guy was a massive egotistical um, piece of doo-doo. Yep. You know, and so it was all about money and status because they were Jewish. Um, and when they immigrated here, they got a lot of anti-Semitic hate and stuff like that. And so money is power. Um, money is status. And so his whole genius was buying the, it's called the William Douglas McAdams Advertising Company. He bought that company. And started marketing the Thorazine and the Valium as wonder drugs and, you know, all these special things. And believe it or not, I didn't know this was a thing. But they have what's called the Medical Advertising Hall of Fame. Yes. Now, how fucked up is that? So he was inducted into this in 1997. And his little blurb says... No individual did more to shape the character of medical advertising than the multi-talented Dr. Arthur Sackler. So he was touted as basically the father of pharmaceutical mar marketing in the United States. So not only did he have the first advertising company, but he also aired the first pharmaceutical advertisement on TV in 1957. Well, in, it's the U.S., New Zealand, and like I think one other country that allows direct pharmaceutical marketing to mm -hmm. the patients. Mm -hmm. Every other country, you, like you, you don't get the ads on your TV or on a billboard. Mm -hmm. Do you know how many ads I saw? Because Hulu, I have the ad version. How right. many ads I saw for pharmaceuticals watching Dope Sick? Exactly. And it wasn't even the same one. It was like a dozen All different, different types. <laughs> and I was like, goodness, like, what in the world? <laughs> well, and You're like, the could there possibly be any more uh, fantastic uh, drugs that are on the market today? Yeah. And I, I think it was in the first, maybe second episode of Painkiller, where... Arthur Sackler was talking to his brother, who was the father of Richard Sackler. Mm -hmm. And Richard Sackler's dad had come in with all these Tiffany bags. Yes. And um, Arthur Sackler got very angry. And he was like, you know, he basically de described the difference between money and a legacy. Mm -hmm. And do you remember the comparison that he used for a legacy? I don't remember what it was. Okay. So when you think of Alfred Nobel, what do you think of? Oh, I remember that. Yeah. You, you think of the Peace Prize, right? You think of right. the Nobel Prizes. No, right. this guy was the guy who made dynamite, who invented dynamite. Mm -hmm. But his name isn't attached to dynamite and nope. killing people in murder. No, it's attached to the Peace Prize. And mm -hmm. Arthur Sackler went on to describe that that's the legacy. And so... The reason that rich people put their names in art in museums in schools is that's their legacy, because so which their is name exactly gets exactly what they did, right? Literally like, all over smokes. the world. Yes, mm -hmm. and it's funny because um, 
like after watching these and and digging in and doing some research and whatnot, <clears throat> Arthur Sackler was married uh, more than once. And anyway, his his wife was like, um, he didn't have anything to do with this. Uh, basically, poor pitiful him. People are blaming the family and they shouldn't. Oh, boo-hoo. Uh, the Smithsonian wants to distance themselves um, from the Sackler name. Boo-hoo, boo-hoo. Uh, they're sweet and innocent. Uh, I can't believe you know, we didn't have anything to do with it, but if he was still alive, he wouldn't have allowed that to happen. Um, I call bullshit. Oh, yeah. Especially because while he's amassing this giant media conglomerate, um, he was also writing, uh, a, it was called the Medical Tribune. Um, and this was a, um, oh, like what do you call it? Just like a publication that was handed out for free to doctors. Like he was the sole authority on how to treat your patients, well, what to do for your patients. They had even shown in Dope Sick how Purdue was funding these companies like Pain Free America and mm -hmm. all these different interest groups. Mm -hmm. And so part of them were completely owned and run by Pharma or by mm -hmm. Purdue. Mm -hmm. And in the ones that weren't completely owned and controlled by uh, Purdue were given a uh, significant uh, endowment or donation. Correct. Or someone was put on the board. So they were effectively also controlled by Purdue. Correct. And that little pain chart with like the little happy to sad mm -hmm. face. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people, that's Purdue. That's Purdue. A hundred percent. And that is in every single medical facility here in the United States now. Yeah. And pain is the fifth mm -hmm. vital sign. All doctors care about now is your pain, which is true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember... Even being, so I had all my arm surgery starting 10 and a half, 11. And they were giving, I don't remember if it was oxycodone or oxycontin, but oxycodone's in oxycontin. Mm -hmm. And I'm 11 years old. They were giving me Valium. They mm -hmm. were giving me codeine. They were giving me all the things. Mm -hmm. Grant you, it was a massive surgery. Mm -hmm. And I remember I didn't like the way they made me feel. So uh, they made me uh, the way they made me, yeah, the way they made me feel, and um, so I didn't really want to take them. Mm -hmm. But I remember my mom talking to another parent, and her son was given Valium, and he was about my age, and he ended up having a hallucination mm -hmm. that this red balloon was chasing him, which sounds absolutely ridiculous, but can you imagine having? to call an ambulance, which is what this mother had to do for a psych call for your 10 year old mm -hmm. who was given a prescription by their doctor and it was taken as directed and they were like never even told that, oh, hey, yeah, your kid could hallucinate. And he was like trying to hurt his mom. He was trying to hurt himself. Right. Like right. full blown psych like hallucination in this child. Well, and that's the thing because um, with opioids, they work in the brainstem. Um, they work in, with the limbic system, your cardiac system, your lung system. And so 
when it is uh, affecting the brainstem, it affects the way that your neurons normally work and fire. Um, and so like things go haywire, lines get crossed. Like that's why you will literally see people that are drug users, like putting their hand in a fire and it like, it doesn't register to them because they have messed with those chemicals in the brain that are for our protection and safety. Well, in, um, painkiller they showed a guy who was so high on oxycontin he was having breakfast at a diner with his family and he was chewing his fingers off and he was chewing he had literal teeth marks to the bone on his finger mm -hmm. and he registering no pain right. until his like little daughter who was like four was like daddy you're bleeding mm -hmm. and like that image was wild to me well and, and I can tell you that from being a nurse for such a long time, when all of these things came out, we would see people <clears throat> that like all sense of reasoning and perception were gone mm -hmm. in people that were on opiates. And it would be like they would literally shoot a firework into uh, like their kid's stomach or whatever that was on fire, right? It's because they have no perception, no depth perception, no rational critical thought process. And so we had so many injuries. There were people that were like would stand in a fire or whatever. And it's like none of that registers and then the people around them are literally trying to like put the fire out that is raging up their legs, you know, because they did it like didn't register. They couldn't comprehend what was going on. So, I, so I, I have two things for that. So I started my surgeries May 2000. One, I think, maybe 2002. And so OxyContin was still being prescribed. There wasn't the trials happening yet. Mm -hmm. um, but between my hand and then like all the other stuff, even up until I was in my mid-20s, I was still having a lot of chronic pain. Mm -hmm. And I was still using pharma drugs. Um, and so I remember I would like go into a doctor because my back was really hurting or my arm was really hurting or whatever. And they would literally be like, so what do you want? Because I was mm -hmm. articulate enough to know the things I was allergic to, the things mm -hmm. that worked, the things that didn't work, plus my amount of surgeries. They were mm -hmm. like, so what do you want? Like they were literally a drug dealer. <laughs> let, me get my, let me get my order pad out. Go ahead and tell me and I'll take it off. for anything. Mm -hmm. And the thing that I asked for the most was like the Motrin 800s. I think that's mm -hmm. what they are. Right. And or the prescription strength of leave. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I had more than one doctor. Well, don't you want something stronger? And I mm -hmm. was like, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. No, thank you. Um, But they were just so cavalier about it. Just mm -hmm. what, do, what do you want? Okay, you know, this doesn't work. You know, this doesn't work. So what does work for you? What do you want? Mm-hmm. And looking back, I was like, 
this can't be normal. But it well, was. And that's the thing is um, I was on Oxycontin once um, after my back surgery. I was on that after they sent me home, which was um, entertaining all on its own because um, I am not a fan of meds, period. Mm-hmm. But every time I would take this, because they wanted me to take it every four hours, every time I would take it, I would literally be in the middle of a sentence with whoever was staying with me because I couldn't be by myself. And I'm talking and like in the middle of a word, I would just absolutely fall asleep. Like whatever. And then I would wake up and I felt like absolute garbage. So luckily I'm not one of the people that has that addictive mechanism inside of them. But yeah, like it, it didn't do well for me at all. But one of the things you were talking about earlier was like all these little uh, like shell companies and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. He had a long history of that. He supposedly um, had this, this huge rival. Uh, The guy's name was Bill Froelich. Okay. And so Bill Froelich owned a company called International Medical Statistics. Weird, huh? Hmm. Um, And, and that his company married the databases with the, with the AMA physician master files. So they had access to all the doctors in the United States through this partnership. Um, And so what they would do, they would use this to track uh, the individual physicians prescribing behavior. So they knew exactly who to target at all times. And that was one of the little backdoor uh, little shell company business ventures that he had. He was very smart about doing things because he would put things in his all his different wives' names or uh, kids or you know uh, nephews, nieces, whatever. He would transfer ownership to these people. When he died, they didn't even know what these companies were. Yeah. Well. I was telling my husband this because I was like, he's like, well, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised because he was watching these shows <laughs> with me. And I was like, part of me isn't. Right. However, seeing how, like, I, I know and knew pharma was corrupt. Like, that was not a surprise to me. I was in it. Like, but the way that it was laid out mm-hmm. and seeing their thought process, that is like, Because I personally want to believe that humans are good. And so seeing this thought process that they have, I understand that it was like parts of it were fictionalized and things like that. But Mm -hmm. seeing this very likely thought process, I will say, Mm -hmm. was disturbing. Right. Was very disturbing. And that's that's the thing. And that's what always happens in the instance of any kind of drugs, injectables, products, stuff like that is because the intention behind it is all about their wealth and their money, Mm -hmm. knowing 
that they are going to sacrifice your wealth and your well-being to enhance themselves. Well, the P- the three lawyers who defended the executives in 06, mm-hmm. yes, Dopesick touched on it, but they only touched on Rudy Giuliani. Mm-hmm. Painkiller? I was like, I was flabbergasted and literally had to pause it and like wrote down who these lawyers were that mm-hmm. defended the top executives from Purdue. Mm-hmm. The first was Mary Jo White. Mm-hmm. She was the first female district attorney from the Southern District of New York and led the prosecution mm-hmm. of the Gambino crime boss, John Gotti, and the right. World Trade Center bomber. And right. Purdue hired her. Mm-hmm. And she accepted. Then, oh, there was the general, I forget his name, but there was the general counsel for the FBI from 93 to 97, who also accepted the offer from Purdue. And mm-hmm. then there was Rudy Giuliani, who then got elected mayor after this happened. Mm-hmm. Or well, maybe he was and- mayor before. But like either way, what in the world? What well, in the world? And that's the thing is it pays to have influence and money because who better to represent you than somebody that worked at the FBI? Because we all know they're on the up and up, right? And there's not a single question. Well, like, that blew my mind, Janet. I was like, how can, like, I shouldn't have been surprised. I shouldn't have been surprised with all the things that I knew and mm-hmm. know. But I was like, how does the former general counsel of the FBI mm-hmm. and a former district attorney mm-hmm. go and defend Purdue Pharma. Well, and and the lovely thing about the lawsuit, and I found out some interesting stuff about that um, when I was looking into things. So they had this lawsuit. They It was like cut and dry. They yep. The prosecution had Purdue Pharma by the balls. They had all the internal documents, records, uh, lies, you know, they, they had insider testimony that provided them with documents and, and things like that. And literally it was these three people, um, that were the three pharma executives that were, you know, that, that testified, they testified in front of Congress. So they're like, oh, we got them. They lied into Congress. And yeah. so they said they didn't know that Oxycontin was being abused and right. they had proof that they did know. So that's was the charge of lying to Congress. Right. So in this lawsuit, basically it was a slap on the wrist and you can still make Oxycontin. Um, Nothing is going to happen. We're not going to shut your company down. We're not going to pull your drug from the market. Basically, uh, shame on you. Don't do it again, business. Yep. However, there's a couple things to that. Um, They own another company in the UK called Munda Pharma. Uh, Mundo Pharma is the same thing as Purdue. They manufacture and distribute Oxycontin to everywhere but the United States region. And so what happened in this lawsuit 
doesn't even pertain to that pharmaceutical company. Um, plus, completely different regulations. So, um, back to the lawsuit real quick. Uh, in October of 2020, <clears throat> they pled guilty to criminal charges as part of an $8 billion settlement over a 10-year period. They don't have to pay it all out at once. Uh, just over marketing, the marketing process of OxyContin. So they agreed to pay the fines, admit criminal liability, but company executives and the Sackler family uh, don't admit to any wrongdoing um, in the agreement. So that wasn't going to shield them for potential liability. However, enter 2023, May of 2023, this year, federal appeals court cleared the way for the maker of OxyContin to settle thousands of legal claims tied to opioid epidemic while shielding all of the owners of Purdue Pharma the Sackler and the Sackler family from any future lawsuits. So during this, quote, 2023 thing, of course, the Sackler family was celebrating. They were super happy because, oh, good, we're not going to get sued anymore because it's over. And this appeals court judge says we will never have to be put on trial or face another lawsuit regarding OxyContin ever again. And in this settlement, they want them to hand over Purdue Pharma to this other company. It was called COA, K-H-O-A or something like that. Yeah. So... <coughs> Don't know if any of the Sackler family and their little hidden business dealings are part of COA, but they're supposed to relinquish control of Purdue Pharma to this COA, but not of Mundi Pharma. Oh, cute. So that is shielded as well because it's not in the United States. So all of their um, offshore accounts, businesses, uh, art collections in China and Europe and even at the palace in Europe, they have some things that, you know, they, they sent over there in their dealings. So I'm sure that the Royal family didn't have anything to do with protecting the, the Mundi Pharma from shit. So, so mm -mm. one thing I, I got curious, so I've known about this website and I probably should have done this before we got on. But I was like, oh, so if you guys go to openpaymentsdata.cms.gov, you can type in either your doctor, a teaching hospital, or a company and see where their money is going. And you mm -hmm. can see um, all of these different things. Okay. So I was like, oh, I can search by a company. I'm going to look up Purdue, thinking it's just for the U.S., thinking there's going to be one result. Janet, there's seven. Mm -hmm. So 
the Purdue Pharma from Canada only has data from 16, 18, and 2019. Mm-hmm. Then there's Purdue Pharma LP, mm-hmm. and that has over $2 million in payments to doctors and hospitals in 2022. Purdue Pharma Manufacturing LP only has data for 2019. Mm-hmm. It's only $200. Shady, huh? Right. Uh, Purdue Pharma of Puerto Rico, where Hmm. I lost her momentarily. So she will be back here in just a moment. But um, that is a very good website to go to to look up information. But so, sorry, my computer glitched. So Purdue okay. from Puerto Rico, that's where they did the original OxyContin trials mm-hmm. of... The women who had just had gynecological gynecological surgery. Mm-hmm. That one, there's only available data for 2016. Like mm-hmm. all of the, like I didn't think to look at this up beforehand, but I'm like, what, what in the world? Mm-hmm. What, yeah, in the world? And and why would that be the only time there was data? And why are there so many different whatever? Because guaranteed, Purdue Pharma has a lot of other pharma companies Oh yeah, underneath them. I guarantee you that. Oh, yeah. Because they all do. And I wonder, you know, when, uh, when Arthur Sackler, or not Arthur Sackler, because he was dead, when Richard Sackler... Um, who did the whole Oxycontin thing when he made the phone call to Rudy Giuliani and then Rudy Giuliani called Congress members and even put on a call to the White House to stop this lawsuit basically from happening. The White House gets a hold of the DOJ. The DOJ then gets a hold of you know, the Southern District of, what was it, Virginia or something, whoever was prosecuting mm-hmm. um, this thing. And so it's like they call, the DOJ calls this, you know, the DA. And then it's like, well, we've agreed to this terms and, and conditions. And so, you know, you as the DA, you're just going to have to accept this because this is what we worked out behind mm-hmm. the scenes. You know this is the kind of shit that literally goes on all of the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the things, um, and it doesn't have to do with, um, hold on a minute, I got to find it. Doesn't have anything to do with OxyContin per se, but this has to do with the drug approval process. Since this is a wide-ranging you know, revolving door between the people that work for the FDA and then going to work for pharma companies and stuff. This is where the the waters get very muddied. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of room for interpretation in deciding whether or not a cancer drug should be approved. 
because so many studies of cancer drugs rely on what's called a surrogate endpoint, meaning that something other than survival of quality of life was measured to determine whether a drug worked or not. Um, for example, shrinking a tumor may be a stand-in for survival. But according to one of um, the previous studies, there isn't always evidence that suggests that endpoints are linked to better health outcomes for patients, suggesting that some approved drugs aren't even anywhere near as beneficial as they appear. When they were talking about how for OxyContin, they were throwing away all this data because it didn't match what they wanted. Correct. And only... Lying with statistics. Yeah, and only 50% of people that they reported had to show a benefit. Mm -hmm. And I was... I didn't learn about this in Dope Sick or Painkiller. I'd learned about this previously. But when they compare two drugs, so let's say you're watching a commercial for, I don't know, some drug for eczema. I okay. was just going to say eczema because there's a lot of new drugs on there's the market. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And they'll be like, oh, our drug is better than this drug. Right. But what they don't tell you is that the comparison, so let's say the there's the main drug and then there's the competitor drug. The main drug is being tested at the dose that they want to give patients. Correct. They will then compare it to a competitor drug at half the dose that the competitor drug says it should be given at, mm -hmm. which will obviously be subpar. Mm -hmm. And so then they'll be like, oh, well, our drug is better. Well, yeah, because you only gave the patients right. half of the drug that the competitor said to give. Mm -hmm. So and technic that's the like technically they're right, but like also that's really shady. Well, and that that is definitely uh, falsification um, of clinical data, uh, study data. Every time you do a clinical study, there has to be clearly defined parameters, guidelines. All of that stuff has to be set before you are allowed to start your study. And so many times, just like we saw during the COVID stuff. So how many times did they push safe and effective for pregnant mothers? Yep. Uh, because we tested it. And then come to find out through all the documentation, they never, ever tested it. Well, no. So two things on that. The way they can get away with, because it's not really falsification with the main drug and the competitor drug, because if the main drug is normally given at 25 milligrams and the competitor mm -hmm. drug is normally given at 50. Mm -hmm. They will say, well, the dosage is the same mm -hmm. and that's how they get away with it. Mm -hmm. In regards to pregnant women and testing, and this also goes for children, mm -hmm. it is considered unethical to mm -hmm. test in children and pregnant women. Mm -hmm. Therefore, no drug has been tested on it. And so if there's a side effect like any pregnant woman who even takes Tylenol mm -hmm. is technically part of a clinical study. Mm -hmm. A vaccine is part of a clinical study. Right. And, and they, and they voluntarily entered that. It, but the doctors don't tell you that. Exactly. 
Instead, the doctors tell you that this is totally safe and effective. But mm -hmm. what they don't tell you is that there actually hasn't been a study. The closest thing they will come to is a pregnant mouse. Mm -hmm. And then claim it's safe for pregnant humans, pregnant mm -hmm. mothers. Like that. What? Well, and that's, that's part of their um, shady business that they do. Um, like we talked about before, it's not just Oxycontin, but it's their way of approval process that's the problem yes. for anything even household goods products makeup you know whatever because one of their guidelines for approval is grass generally recognized as safe a lot of products that are in the quote grass category have never been tested on human beings ever but they prove them as safe because it's kind of like you and i get in a room and you're like eh, what's the worst that could happen ellie do you think they're gonna grow two heads yeah that's not gonna happen i i'm pretty sure this is safe that's the kind of conversations that go on with this garbage well and Janet, so they we saw how they started this OxyContin trial or the data for it in the early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And it's been going on now for, call it 20 years, give mm -hmm. or take a few years. Mm -hmm. And it's still on the market. Mm -hmm. Zantac, the heartburn medication that was over the mm -hmm. counter. Was on the market for what seventy years or something like that. <laughs> that that literally every hospital facility would use yes. to give a patient before a surgery. Yes. Every single surgery. Mm -hmm. I told you my story mm -hmm. with Clomid, right? Maybe. Okay, so my mom was given Clomid to conceive me because she was having trouble. Um, carrying a pregnancy to term. Mm -hmm. And so with my hand and my heart, I was been multiple geneticists, cardiologists, limb doctors, like the works. Mm -hmm. And especially when I was younger, my parents would ask and I would ask, um, what caused this? Mm -hmm. What caused this? Oh, well, it's likely a fluke of a, is a genetic abnormality. Yeah, it so couldn't possibly be the Clomid. No, and we we mentioned Clomid every single time. They did all the genetic tests, Janet, all of them. Mm -hmm. Could never find it. Mm -hmm. And I came across um, one of my favorite Instagram accounts that I talk about all the time. And they also have a website, just the inserts or just the inserts.com. Did a post on Clomid. It was never meant to be used in pregnant women. It's actually mm -hmm. a cancer drug. But mm -hmm. is given to women to help them conceive. But also, mm -hmm. if you get pregnant, you're not supposed to take it because it can have, it can kill your baby mm -hmm. or give them severe um, disabilities and deformities. Mm -hmm. I read the insert for um, what a baby can look like mm -hmm. if their mother was exposed to Clomid. Hi, it's me, Janet. Mm -hmm. And to this day, now I will go in and I will tell doctors, oh, this is because of Clomid. And they will look at me and they're like, well, no. And I'm like, well, have you read the insert? And then they look at no. me and they get all angry and they go, well, no, but you can't be right. 
Mm -hmm. Well, and that's the thing, right? It's plausible deniability for them at all times in all situations because uh, look at how many times um, we've been told that the any vaccine ingredients are safe, right? But if you go and research, uh, you know, this data effect, safety sheets, yes, effects of or all of that stuff, you will find that those things are not supposed to be given to humans. We're not supposed to be exposed to them. Yep. But yet again, the FDA approves them right because of safety and efficacy even though no vaccination has ever been tested to prove safety and efficacy same thing with our products every single product is the same thing the fda says it's okay uh and then later on they pull it off the market because they find that uh it's carcinogenic or it causes you know, uh, birth defects or, you know, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, especially with drugs, when they pull a drug off of the market because of X, Y, or Z, they will literally rebrand that drug, yep. give it a different name yep. and put it right back on the market. So one thing I found interesting and comparing dope sick to painkiller because they're the same story just one has little dope sick has a little more information mm -hmm. um dope sick had more of like a focused on the impact of that on the families mm -hmm. whereas painkiller uh was more of like a high level overview mm -hmm. but what i found very interesting is in painkiller the one on netflix the newer one seemed to while they didn't try and deny that the Sacklers were a part of this, mm -hmm. it was more, they seemed to blame more the doctors, mm -hmm. the patients, mm -hmm. and the drug reps. And the only Sackler that they focused on was Richard Sackler, and they made him seem absolutely crazy because mm -hmm. he kept hallucinating his dead father, mm -hmm. or his uncle, Arthur Sackler. And I remember in Dope Sick, they were really big on... Richard Sackler and Kathy Sackler. Mm -hmm. Kathy Sackler was never mentioned in Painkiller. Well, and you know, the funny thing is the three brothers, um, what was it? Richard, uh, Arthur, and what's the other one's name? I don't remember. Raymond. Um, they have a lot of kids who also have a lot of kids. And almost every single one of the offspring is either currently on the board, has been on the board, or uh, whatever, all, all involved with Purdue Pharma. And then the Sackler family is like, oh, none of us, we didn't receive any enrichment from Purdue Pharma yeah, like like they had to scrounge for their pennies because uh, uh, they weren't they weren't uh, made wealthy from Purdue Pharma at all. But uh, did you see the house he lived in? Right, right. But for me, I, I guess what stuck out comparing 
comparing dope sick and painkiller is painkiller was very much well, the doctors were seeing it. The doctors should mm-hmm. have known. The well, doctors, that doctors, was, the doctors. That was their marketing thing, though, when all these deaths started happening, is a- attack the attic. You know, attack, right. the, attack person, the attic. Attack the doctors. Attack anybody but us. So now, so Janet. somewhere else. We see now there's more people mm-hmm. seemingly realizing mm-hmm. what Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca did. AstraZeneca right there, one got taken off the market. Moderna, mm-hmm. no one really talks about them anymore in regards to the COVID vaccine, but Pfizer's still really big. Mm-hmm. And they're talking about now how people who'd received, and this is on the CDC website, mm-hmm. people who've received the past COVID-19 vaccines mm-hmm. are actually more likely to get this quote unquote new variant. And Correct. we're not going to discuss whether or not that's applicable, but that's on the CDC website. Correct. Okay. So that sounds a whole lot like let's blame the patients. Mm-hmm. And well, it's your well, fault. You took it. It's your fault. You took it. Well, the mm-hmm. doctors should have known. Didn't you go see your primary care for your heart problem? Didn't you go see your primary care when you had a stroke? Like, mm-hmm. and I can see very easily. Mm-hmm. How because we we talk about right how the TV and how shows and movies are um, introducing us to what they want to do in the future, right? Mm-hmm. To me, this is a very easy. Well, we showed you in Painkiller. It wasn't really the Sacklers. It wasn't really Purdue. It was the addicts and the doctors. Mm-hmm. So we showed you that it wasn't Pfizer in the vaccine. It was really because you decided to take it. Mm-hmm. And in the well, FDA, that's... still, like, no one really blames the FDA in either show. Right. And and I'm what? sorry, but they and, – and the FDA is completely and totally at fault here because oh, yes. they don't research. They don't read the data nope. that they're given. It's basically a rubber stamp process when it comes through because there have been multiple times, and they even touched on this just a tiny bit, that after the lawsuit, they put a black box warning. Mm -hmm. Um, That still, if you have the severity of a drug that needs a black box warning, that drug should not be on the market. Plain Do you and know simple. people what a black box warning is? Because I know, but like if, if people are like, what the heck's a black box warning? Um, a black box warning boiled down into very simple terms is this product is very dangerous and can cause death or harm, uh, whatever, fatalities in patients. But please... <laughs> Take it anyway. Use caution when taking it. <laughs> so, Janet, what is, do you know the one product to give in to newborns in the first or second day of life that has a black box warning on a regular basis? Um, Would that be vitamin K? Ding, ding, ding. And a lot of hospitals, if you try and deny the vitamin K shot, will mm-hmm. tell you that your baby will bleed out um, right. if you don't give them this. Right. And then doctors won't perform 
a circumcision without it, which mm-hmm. circumcision, we won't get into that right now, but mm-hmm. like babies naturally have a low vitamin K threshold until mm-hmm. like eight to 14 days after they're born. Mm-hmm. Are we saying God's stupid? Like, are we just trying to make money? Well, and, and that's <laughs> the thing because anything that can add on is, is billable. Right. And so yeah. vitamin K pharmaceutical, uh, yep. Then we got to jab them with the hepatitis B because, you know, that baby might be out there. Having uh, gay sex and shooting up heroin. Ha- exactly. Might, might be. Well, if they were, if parents were on Oxycontin, they were on heroin. So, you know, um, so yeah, it, but those babies, you got to watch them in the nursery though, because those little, those little kids, they'll, they'll definitely be. Well, and uh, there's fentanyl in the your drugs. epidural. There's fentanyl yes. in your epidural. In mm-hmm. case y'all didn't know that there's fentanyl in the epidural. That's why babies are sometimes need help waking up after a C-section. That's, that's correct. And so you have pharma, 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 pharma. Oh, we better give the mom uh, Oxycontin because she just delivered. So she's got to be in pain. So we better give her some of that. So well, and here's some th- antibiotics in case you have group B strep and, oh, you have to have a bag of saline in case you have to have surgery, even if you plan to deliver naturally. So let's all, so bill that to big pharma. Like mm-hmm. y'all just have yeah. your babies at home. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's the thing though. And that's why, um, it's the continual cycle of building lifelong customers. And so, are they aware? Have they been? Did they know before they ever put Oxycontin on the market what the ramifications were? Yes, they did. Do they know that with cancer drugs? Yes, they do. But it's plausible deniability, like I said before, because any time you broach that subject with a healthcare provider, they're going to tell you that what you're experiencing could definitely not be from that drug it's got to be something that you did something you're using some because yeah. oh you're it, using it's the turmeric janet you're, it's the turmeric i was just gonna <laughs> say you're using natural products well that's that's what's causing it you know and that case in point this oh i just lost her again but this is what's going on with my mother currently, yeah. right? Everybody knows that uh, she went through radiation for cancer and stuff. And then it was like, oh, well, now you're going to have to take this, quote, anti-cancer drug uh, for seven years. And, well, you know, because because you're older, you're going to have to take this uh, injection to build your bone mass back up, right? Okay, so red flag number one. Uh, what does radiation do? It zaps, it zaps your your bone marrow and it zaps your red cells, and so that's why why you need to have uh, a, a bone mass rebuilder. And so she started having all these side effects, and she asked the doctor. She told the doctor all about it. So two different. Uh, cancer doctors and a radiation specialist and they told her it couldn't possibly be from the meds and i told her i said if you look up that medicine that you're on that is listed under severe side effects so 
my mom's doctor wanted to put her on there's an injectable version and a pill version of this Mm -hmm. pre-osteoporosis medicine i don't remember Mm -hmm. what it is Mm -hmm. and she's like can you like look at this she's like i'm so confused like Mm -hmm. i'm not she's not really big into pharma but like she will if she has to type deal Mm -hmm. and so i showed her how to read an insert i started reading it for her i was like highlighting things for her and one of the things was it shouldn't be taken for more than two years Mm -hmm. and actually there's a high likelihood that while it's supposed to increase bone mass, <laughs> you're likely to break your hips on it. And I'm like, and that's what they were telling her to take it for. So she wouldn't <clears throat> break a hip. And I'm like, mom, don't mm-hmm. do this. Mm-hmm. Like take this stuff first, Like, try mm-hmm. this first. Exactly. The, she went back to the doctor. She, I like wrote out these questions for her and she's like, yeah, she's like, the doctor wasn't really pushing it. Um, he didn't quite understand about the whole hydroxyapatite and calcium and like how that might work. She's like, but I am going to try it and I'm not going to do that right now. Like the pharma part. Um, but it was just wild to me that the thing that they wanted to give her it for was mm-hmm. her potentially breaking a hip mm-hmm. was one of the main potential side effects. And I was like, mom, like, don't do this. 99% of the medications on the market are the exact same way. Mm-hmm. If you look them up, the side effects and things to watch for are exactly what they're trying to treat you for. So problem re- reaction solution, right? The Hegelian dialectic. And so going back to, um, Mr. Sackler. Okay. This was all the way back in 1957 when he aired his first TV commercial, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was a, an extravaganza explaining this new mysterious disease or surface, the condition that had surfaced. It was called ataraxia. Nobody knew what it was. Nobody had ever heard of it. It was awful. It left you in a state of uh, psychic distress and prevented sleep and relaxation cycles. Sadly, no cure was mentioned in this. And then a few months later, boom! Pfizer, who was using Arthur Sackler's William Douglas McAdams Advertising Agency, miraculously and quite generously came up with the cure a new tranquilizer called Atarax. So, okay. So I have, I have two things. Remind me to tell my personal story about Atarax here in a second. But, so the reason that this is important is Oxycontin was labeled as lasting 12 hours. So when mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, they had me take it every four, I was like, that's not even how it's supposed to be used, first mm-hmm. of all. But second of all, it wasn't lasting 12 hours because no opiate does. Correct. Okay. And so they literally invented the term breakthrough pain. Mm-hmm. Anyone who has ever had surgery, if you're, the opiates don't last, right? Mm-hmm. There's, I think it's like every six-ish hours they'll give them to you. Mm-hmm. And so like at hour four, when most people, it starts to wear off. If you're, especially if you're in extreme pain. They'll come in and you're like, oh, I'm still having pain. Oh, you're having breakthrough pain. Do you want some Tylenol? Mm-hmm. Do you want some of this? Like, 
y'all, that was literally made up by the Sackler family to Correct. sell more Oxycontin. Correct. No yep. one had ever heard of breakthrough pain until Oxycontin. Correct. Yeah. And that's the thing is because, you know, I mean, think about that when you're on a high from anything, right? Yeah. Um, whether you smoke a cigarette or you smoke a joint or you take a pain pill or whatever, it never lasts. And that's why people get into that cycle of habitual repeat because our limbic system and our brain does not allow us to have continual pleasure. That's not the way our body was designed. And so everything in your body having a balance or a homeostasis, your limbic system is not going to let you feel pleasure forever with no letdown. So I remember, I think it was my surgery when I had to have a nerve moved in my right arm and my right elbow. Mm -hmm. And the only thing, either for allergy reasons or whatever, that I can take to be sent home with is Dilaudid. Right. And they're not fans of it, but they'll give it to me, but in a very small amount. Right. Right. Um, and I remember I came home and wasn't, it was like maybe five days post-surgery and I wasn't having a ton of pain, but I remember, I distinctly remember the point that I wasn't in pain, but I was about to take another Dilaudid because I wanted to. And I looked at Mike and I was like, take this pill bottle from me. He's like, why? And I was like, because I want it. I don't mm -hmm. need it. I want it. I was like, get rid of it. And right. he did. But like having that moment, I can totally see how a lot of people, it's so, it would be so easy just to take it. Mm -hmm. It would be so easy. And I shudder at the thought of what would have happened had I not handed that pill bottle to Mike. Mm -hmm. Like, I, like I shudder at the thought. Well, and and think about that not just for you know Dilaudid or opiates or, or anything like that, but think about how many people are on everyday medications, and they're so bought into the system and all of the propaganda that goes with it that it's like, uh, oh my God, if I don't take my diabetes medicine, I'm gonna die. If I don't do this on a regular basis, I'm going to have a heart attack. If I don't wean off of such and such X, Y, and Z, I'm going to die, which is what they will tell you for opiates. However, here's the thing. Weaning you off of something still gives your body that and supposed to give you the letdown, right? And mm -hmm. gradually step down. But mm -hmm. because opioids and other medications cause problems with your liver, your lungs, your heart, uh, your kidneys, literally all of that stuff, anything could happen to you at any time, whether you're on the medication or not. And so... An abrupt stoppage of a medication, yeah, you're going to suffer. Opioid withdrawal is literally the most god-awful, mm -hmm. uh, painful experience on the face of the planet. However, so is 
your need to constantly have it and constantly take it. And you're withdrawing literally every time that you don't have that drug and don't have more and more and more of it. So after my car accident, they put me on multiple antidepressants. Mm -hmm. They put me on Ritalin. It's like Pringles. You can't have just one. You have to have a cocktail. Because I was having side effects. And so they were acknowledging the side effects, but then giving me another pill to cover it up. To, to help with those side effects. And then right. here's, the, here's the third one. So they, first they had me on a bunch of antidepressants. I had PTSD, like legitimately I needed help. Right. Should it have come in the form of a pill, maybe for a short period of time, but what I really needed was support and therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and also antidepressants, you're not supposed to be on them for more than 18 months. So if mm-hmm. y'all have been on them for like, you know, a decade, maybe mm-hmm. you should get off of them. Mm-hmm. But there are some that even if you try to wean off of, mm-hmm. you can cause serious damage. Like they are literally addictive like an opiate, but you don't realize it because mm-hmm. it affects your brain chemistry. But they don't really mm-hmm. know how. Like at one point I read an insert for one of the antidepressants I was on. Mm-hmm. And it was it was for Abilify. So at mm-hmm. one point I was only on Abilify. And it's supposed to be used in conjunction with something else. Mm-hmm. But I just needed Abilify like that. Right. And I remember asking and then reading and I was like, why does this work? And they're like, well, we don't really know, but we know it does. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that's what? That's your rationale? <laughs> that. <laughs> and so I was on all of these medications for the antidepressants and I didn't want to anymore. And so... Which type of doctor prescribes, psychiatrist subscribe, prescribes? Mm-hmm. Per, okay. So mm-hmm. she's like, I want you to taper off. I just went cold turkey off all of those. That was awful. Mm-hmm. Off the antidepressants. Right. I attempted to do cold turkey off Ritalin. Janet, they put me on Ritalin. Not because I had ADHD, but because I couldn't, I had a traumatic brain injury. And so their mm-hmm. answer was Ritalin. Mm-hmm. To won't help you focus. Oh, it did. It was great. It was phenomenal. Which has has amphetamines (laughs) in it. Mm -hmm. It was it was phenomenal, Janet. Mm -hmm. Coming off of that was awful. I at one point, while on it, I would drink like maybe one or two cups of coffee a day. After when I was trying to get off of it for almost probably a good year no exaggeration coffee wouldn't do it i was doing straight multiple straight shots of espresso up to a dozen a day or more attempting to stay awake Mm -hmm. and i tapered off of it and i was only Mm -hmm. at 10 milligrams Mm -hmm. it was awful and that's the thing because most um meds that they give in the clinical setting for depression anxiety PTSD, all of that stuff now, um, have narcotics in them, have amphetamines in them. And so you literally coming off of those will experience nearly the same exact things that somebody going through opiate withdrawal would experience. Oh, Adorax. That's what I wanted to tell you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So 
when that was another wait wait that was another drug that was very widely used in the hospitals along with valium and reglan and all of that stuff so anyway go ahead so they didn't give me atarax as a tranquilizer Mm -hmm. They gave me a very low dose of Atarax because after my pelvis was broken, mm -hmm. a tiny piece had actually pierced my bladder. Mm -hmm. A piece of bone had pierced my bladder and I was having to go pee like six times a night and I wasn't sleeping because mm -hmm. I was kept having to get up to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So instead of like pelvic floor therapy, right? Because mm -hmm. my pelvis had been broken, like pelvic floor therapy, was, which is what I needed. Mm -hmm. Their answer was to give me Atarax. Right, and then but, some but, other, some other antihistamine, and it it worked. I didn't go pee in the middle of the night, but I didn't know that Atarax, but it was completely off label. That's why they would give Atarax before surgeries at the hospital as well, um, because they found off label use that it dries up secretions. I was like, so think about that. This this medication that, you know, Arthur Sackler did the commercial for or this condition and then later comes the medication for it is to promote uh, or per the condition stopped people from sleeping and relaxing. So if you're giving a medication before a surgery that that's what it's FDA approved for, right, is to help release stress and and let you relax but it also dries up secretions that's great in a hospital setting because they can do iv fluids to rehydrate you but think of how many people had problems being on Adorax, not in a hospital setting yeah. so enter prostate problems kidney problems utis um, bladder infections <laughs> Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Those off-label uses, they'll get you every time. Well, so will the labeled uses. <laughs> right? So I, I came across this one today, and it was funny that we were talking about drugs. Um, Cytotech, also called mis misprofustol, right? Mm -hmm. Is that right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Is used to induce labor. Mm -hmm. And I knew that. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know, what it was meant to be used for which was to treat stomach ulcers, mm -hmm. but it's also an abortion drug. Mm -hmm. And it has a black box warning for pregnant women and has side effects that include uterine hyperstimulation, uterine rupture, hemorrhage, retained placenta, and fetal distress. And they give it to women to induce labor mm -hmm. on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. What? So think about that, though. They're giving it at the hospital right to in, induce labor which they did for a very long time right um so that's wonderful but think of how many women had uh bladder ruptures cysticeals things like that happen while they're given this to induce labor and then or they're like oh no it's your it's your body your your body's to blame or women who were given it when they weren't pregnant, but then something happened and then they were no longer able to bear children. Correct. Like Janet, well, like, I've always hated the pharma industry, but the more we talk, like, mm -hmm. oh. and that is why, that is why, um, I can't with them. I won't 
Uh, I am very anti, anti any kind of pharma stuff because I know what they do. I, I know their routine from being in healthcare for a long time. Yeah. And, and just like the thing with the Oxycontin, right? Um, Arthur Sackler, uh, before the Oxycontin thing, he invented the drug reps. And so that was through his little dealings with uh, Leachman, whatever guy's name was. Anyway, um, so enter Oxycontin and enter the drug reps and enter the, uh, if you can get the doctor to go from 20 milligram to uh, 40 milligram will increase your bonus. Uh, we'll buy you a Porsche. Um, we'll buy you and a house. the doctors house. get payments too. Yes, yes, they do, but none, no, nobody else does. It's just the doctors, right? And so it's like all of these things, incentives, trinkets, trips. I can tell you from meals. working with that all the time. It's like they would bring meals all the time, um, or they would, uh, like our doctor was very into hunting, and so. They would buy him an entire table at like a Ducks Unlimited banquet. That is literally a shit ton of money. I mean, we're talking like thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars just for the tickets. Um, trips, uh, hunting trips. Uh, why don't you come down to my uh, cabin and you know, blah, 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 or why don't I, uh, why don't we send you to this conference, whatever. So loosely, the government tries to crack down on that, right? But mm -hmm. when they implemented the whole electronic system under Obama, one of the big components in it is you have to prescribe in the electronic system which is more tracking of yep. what you prescribe and the more you prescribe and the, if they can get you to prescribe the higher doses, the more your bonuses are, the more money that you get. They did a very good job in, in the movie talking about that because yep. that is real life. And I talked about this when I wrote that, the audio drama for true theater where we had this patient come in. She was an older lady, been married for like 56 years or something. And anyway, she was having problems with depression. They put her on a certain medication that comes from Pfizer uh, that starts with a C. Uh, they put her on this medication and it says severe side effects are uh, homicidal thoughts. Yes, I said homicidal thoughts. <coughs> All of these things. I had those so on one of the antidepressants. <laughs> uh -huh. So she was on 20 milligram. She came back, you know, in the month checkup like you're supposed to do. And she she was telling me, she's like, I, I was standing over my husband with the butcher knife. We've been married for 56 years. I have no ill will or hatred toward yep. him. I love him. He's my best friend. She's telling me all these side effects. 
So the doctor goes in and sees her, and instead of taking her off of the medication, he ups her to a higher dosage. Gave her a 40 milligram instead of a 20 because he didn't think it was strong enough. That is what your doctors do. Yeah. So deny the side effects of anything and just tell you your body's not receptive enough to it. So here, take a big, bigger dose. Well, and I find the idea of methadone and suboxone. Mm-hmm. That's another, for me, it's another example of we're going to create the problem and the solution. Yes. We created the problem of opiates. Then mm -hmm. they created the quote unquote solution of these. But they mm -hmm. also, in some cases, like they were talking they about. Are, they are opiates. They're an opiate. And for a lot of people, it's a lifelong thing. Mm -hmm. It's just it's in a different form. And what could possibly happen to, to a lot? If you look up opiates. It will tell you they're not for long-term use. Uh, it's not supposed to be a chronic thing because if you if you take an opiate, you're you're literally masking your pain. Right. You're telling your limbic system and the pleasure centers in your brain that you don't hurt, even though you still do. And so it sends out all these happy little endorphins, and that's why you don't feel your pain. It didn't take care of the problem or the source of your pain. So long-term usage is not supposed to be a thing. And so, um, you know, when, when you're on opioids, especially when you're overdosing on opioids or withdrawing from opioids or whatever, your pain gets worse. Um, you get increased anxiety, increased anxiousness, uh, restlessness. You, your ears get, or ears, your eyes get very teary and watery and runny and stuff. Uh, you have problems sleeping. Uh, you sweat like a pig. You have diarrhea and stomach problems and abdominal cramps and all of that stuff. And so, that is literally going to be your life, whether you're still on your meds or not. Right. And even if you switch to the Suboxone and stuff and the methadone, you are going to, this will be your life literally every day. So, Gina, what's the difference between methadone and Suboxone? And like, I know in Dope Sick, they said that Suboxone was supposed to be better. <laughs> is it really? I mean, that's one of the things that you, people that are considering taking it or have family members that are supposed to take it, getting them at a clinic or whatever, look them up because the literally the only difference in those two is polymers that are in it and what those polymers do. And by saying that, let me explain something. Um, and this is a medication as well, but not an opiate. Um, so they had medication on the, on the market by prescription for, um, allergies, right? And they were like, oh, people are complaining because they're so sleepy all the time because of the ingredients and the medication. And so they would re-release the same medication back onto the market telling people that it did not have the polymer in it 
that caused the drowsiness in the same, you know, as a, as a side effect of the medication. However, um, people were still complaining about that. And so the Suboxone and the Methadone are, are to me, uh, two birds of the same feather because they're both opiates. Um, they both have addictive potential. It They'll just tell you Suboxone uh, is less addictive than what methadone is. So, so does, it, does it still like, I guess, take away their pain? And if that's the case, why don't we just use Suboxone or methadone instead of Oxycontin or some other pain medication? Well, that's a good question. And I, I am assuming the reason why they do that is because they don't <laughs> they don't have the high level of uh heroin in them that opiates do and so it's not going to be quote as effective at pain relief that makes sense when so. i think in dope sick too they were talking about how suboxone was a pill but methadone was always a liquid or something mm -hmm. yeah they do they uh like the methadone clinics they'll give them like one of those little dixie cups full of stuff but i mean people still they'll still break into uh methadone clinics and stuff on a regular basis but um so think about like all of these uh, states lately that have been like oh well we should legalize uh, heroin or we should legalize you know magic mushrooms or, or whatever mm -hmm. and that's their thing is to try to quote <laughs> I don't like if it's to create a safe space right or create a um by thinking that if they make things legal, that people won't want to use them anymore if they're legal. That's a little bit flawed thinking, but, you know, yeah. and and then what is their solution going to be? Because, you know, there's always going to be. Oh, the solution's going to be like what happened with marijuana. Then they'll start regulating it so they can tax it and make money off of it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, in my opinion, that's why they want to make it, quote unquote, legal. And mm -hmm. so the government can make money off of it. That um, with the current, the 2023 lawsuit with the Sackler family or mm -hmm. that went through the appeals court, um, one of the things is that it was mandated that this uh, supposed liquidation of, of Purdue Pharma and their assets or whatever are going to go back into um, like helping the families of the people who died. Um, but you can get anywhere from like uh, $5,000 up to, it was like $43,000 or something. So that's going to go in a fund that who controls? The government, right? Well, and it's just like, and who decides what family gets gets what percentage? It's just like um, the vaccine funds, the vaccine injury funds. Yep. 
that the government controls and then they decide to pay you or not pay you and, and then they exactly and, and the pharma companies to be clear people they don't actually fund any of that vaccine injury fund the taxpayers right. do. the taxpayers do so uh you vaccinating your children um while paying the government and they put money in this fund for you to harm your own children, and then they'll give you your tax money back. Part a part of it. Your case is good enough, and typically, Correct. they only, from my from what I've seen, they only pay out if your kid dies. But Correct. proving that, it, like, <sighs> right? Yeah, exactly. So I don't know, but um, the whole process to me is disturbing and disgusting. And um, I hope that the information today reaches some people. I know it was kind of like an overview, broad thing, but there's a lot of information in there and a lot of nuggets that people can st start to learn and research and know how the right. process works. And yeah. don't forget language statistics, okay? That's very important when you're submitting uh, drug trial data, safety data, things like that for any kind of product or service. Uh, same thing with medical devices. Uh, it all runs through the FDA. But here is one good thing that happened this week. Are you okay. ready? Yep. Um, a federal appeals court judge gave the smackdown to the FDA over the COVID stuff because several doctors brought lawsuit uh, regarding hydrochloroquine, hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Yep. Um, and they're not being able to prescribe that. And so the FDA was basically smacked down because yep. they are not a prescribing entity. They cannot push certain medications over other medications that judge made it very, very clear. So anything and everything that they have done regarding you can't take those drugs, but here uh, take Dr. Fauci's uh, drug that he's working on with Moderna or whoever. Um, that is not their job. And right. the judge made that very clear. So FDA are not doctors while they may be, well, they may be doctors. They are not, your doctors they don't know you mm -hmm. individually and if they're not right. seeing you in an office and talking to you they cannot dictate whether or not your doctor can prescribe you something oh and keep in mind talking about doctors the entire sackler family were doctors but they were all psychiatrists so uh psychiatrists are not pain doctors they are there for your noggin Right. And nothing else. So um, that is kind of uh, telling of how our society works. Because, you know, like Bill Gates is in charge of all the medical stuff now. Mm -hmm. So the Sackler family were in charge of, of your health and well-being and your pain management. Uh, they're specialists for pain management. And it's not a psychiatrist. Right. Well, and one thing that I want to, I guess, just leave with, too, while we have 
talked badly about pharma and rightly so and the corruption and the lying and misleading and all of these different things and the payoffs and the payoffs and all of this different stuff the natural or holistic community can be just as bad correct Mm -hmm. like you're trading one evil for another in some cases right i wholly support holistic natural medicine Mm -hmm. um and think it is a million times better in Mm -hmm. many many cases than pharma however there are many naturopathic doctors or holistic influencers or who things people like that Mm -hmm. nutritionists whatever who will push the latest thing because they're getting kickbacks the latest fad the latest Mm -hmm. fad just because just like pharma Right. Except the only way they really tell you is the the things that they advertise. And mm-hmm. now I'm not saying that those things don't work. Maybe they do. But also just because your favorite influencer uses it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. Correct. Please do your due diligence. Correct. Holistic natural medicine can be just as bad as pharma. Yeah. You and I have talked about that on many occasions because... Um, and you do see that if you start to pay attention, you will notice that where like everybody pushes, uh, this specific detox brand or everybody pushes this specific brand of turmeric or air purifier or water filter or light box or red light system or sauna or whatever. And if, you know, it's like one of those things where if you don't use that, um, and they know you're in that community. People will start to demonize you and chastise you and whatever yes. because you're non-compliant with what they want. Um, so do your own research. Think about your own stuff. Don't take people's words for shit. Look up stuff because there's plenty of naturopathic health out there that you can do yourself at home. You can make things yourself at home. Yep. So just look into stuff. That's all we ask. And just like so. pharma, the same thing goes for natural wellness products. If you make yes. it yourself, they don't make money. If right. you do it yourself, if you heal yourself, they don't make money. I'm not demonizing all of natural health. I'm yep. just like, but if you heal yourself, they don't make money. Right. <laughs> I make my own supplements here at home i don't buy them from a company right so i am not contributing to somebody else's wealth i'm contributing to my well-being and you know maybe there there are certain supplements that i take that i do get from small businesses and i love them and they work and maybe i could make them at home but also i don't want to because i support their product and i know it genuinely Mm -hmm. works right but also there's some other ones that i'm like this seems like a lot of hype and it doesn't do anything, mm-hmm. at least for me. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not like one thing is not a one size fits all for everybody. Right. Everybody is very different and, you know, things that will help you, things that won't help you and your body will tell you yes. if that is the case. Yes. So. Well, darling, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, for being here with me today and discussing this because it is still a super important topic, still a problem today, still going on 
and the revolving door policy between the FDA and pharma companies will be in existence forever until we shut them down. Um, and they are not the boss of you. So make your own decisions, make wise choices, and make sure you look into stuff. So, yes. And thank you, Jane, again for having me. Um, I know y'all probably think that she exaggerates when we say we talk every day. It's not an exaggeration. <laughs> we do. We do. And we talk about a lot of different stuff. So we do. And, you know, also in regards to the revolving door, if your naturopath has you on like 50 different supplements and you're not feeling better, find a new doctor. Exactly. It's okay to find a new doctor. It's okay to say no to a naturopath. Mm -hmm. Like it, it's okay, people. Like, Amen to that. For yourself. <laughs> Amen to that. So for me and for my bestie, Ellie, we love you so much. Thanks for listening. And where can people find you? Um, I had a podcast, Speed Bumps podcast. You can still find it. It's on a hiatus. It may come back. It may not. Um, I'm still, there, there's other things in the works. You um, are working on something that is way more important at that. I time. am. I'm working on something that's way more important, but you can find my personal Instagram at one thumb L O N E thumb E L. And I do fin approved Fridays where I do products or how I do things with my left arm. Um, Go check those out. And yeah, that's where y'all can find me. Yes, absolutely. So make sure you go do that because she has some great uh, advice on her Fenna Proof Fridays. I've noticed several different products or ways to do things that I quite enjoy. So <laughs> thank you. you're welcome. So for me and for Ellie, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Bye guys. <laughs>